Good morning, Parkview North. Great to be with you. Blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Wade. I'm the pastor for Next Generation Discipleship. And what a joy it is to open God's Word. We're going to continue to worship Jesus as we open the Bible. Here at Parkview Church, uh, we believe that God speaks Jesus to us through the Word of God. And so no matter where we're at in Scripture, we want to just be learning about Christ together. And so we're going to jump back into a series we stopped a while back, back into the book of Deuteronomy. And we'll be in Deuteronomy 5 this morning, the first six verses of Deuteronomy 5. And just a quick kind of overview of the book of Deuteronomy, right? There's kind of three main speeches of Moses. We saw the first speech basically uh, is about the history of God's people and then exhortation from Moses to God's people saying, in light of who God is, how faithful he is, listen to his word and find life. Well, then the question would be, that's great, let's listen and live, but, but how do I live? How do we live as God's people? And that's what the second speech of Moses is all about, what is known as the Ten Commandments, where he unfolds these ten words from God, and then he kind of basically applies them to all these different situations. That's why the rest of the book of Deuteronomy, the middle chunk, is all of these laws that many of us, if you kind of read through the Bible in a year, you get there and you're like, what? Really kind of what's happening is he's kind of taking one command and kind of showing different, highlighting that, different areas, and then second command, third command. And so that's what we're doing. We're looking at the, the Ten Commandments together, and it's going to be called a series called The Words to Live By. And a recent search on Google that I did, uh, word, that I said words to live by, here's the results, were basically uh, 75 pithy statements from famous authors or thinkers uh, that are designed to motivate us to live life to its fullest potential. Okay, here are just three. Never be afraid to fall apart because it's an opportunity to rebuild yourself the way you wish you had been all along. Words to live by. Second, from Confucius, it does not matter how slowly you go as long as you don't stop. Words to live by. Third, only you can take inner freedom away from yourself or give it to yourself. Nobody else can. These are words to live by. These statements are designed to help us live life to the full. Yet what's fascinating, as you heard from these three statements, they're just kind of examples, and most all the rest are how focused they are on us as humans having the ability and the freedom to craft life however we want it to be, however we desire life to be for ourselves. And in our contemporary Western culture, we really have two main goals for our lives. The first is to maximize personal freedom to do whatever my internal desires tell me I should do. The second goal is to minimize any external authority that would minimize my personal freedom. Personal freedom and to minimize and to resist any external authority. In our contemporary culture, we as humans are told that we are the sovereign decision makers, that we get to decide what is best for our life? We get to live by the words that we think are true for us. And so many of us today believe that laws or rules can constrict and suffocate our pursuit of freedom. That's why the issues of sexual identity and gender confusion are fraught with so many challenges for so many people in our culture because we're told this is how I feel, therefore I'll conform my life to how I feel. But we as Christians have a truer and better word from God. 
And it is this, God's word tells us who we are, and we should conform to that. We don't look inside ourselves to discover who we are. We look outside ourselves to God's external word, and we conform our lives to that. I mean, just think about Elsa in everyone's favorite Disney movie, Frozen, okay? No rights, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go, right? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Yeah, get this, right? Elsa sings that at the very point which she's creating a frozen ice castle of her own making that imprisons her and harms others. And so as D.A. Carson, one scholar, points out, this way of thinking about freedom, that it's about me pursuing my internal desires without any care about external rules or authority, this actually doesn't work in real life. This way of pursuing freedom doesn't actually work. Think about our work life. If you want to enjoy the freedom of being a fantastic musician, you must obey the rules of what? Of practice, 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 and most likely you will have to submit yourself to an authority, either your parents or a coach or a teacher, whoever it might be. The freedom of being a fantastic musician always comes with certain rules, laws, that govern how best to spend your time and energy to arrive at your goal. Relationally, it is the same thing. If you want to be a great parent, you do not, and you know this as a parent, you don't have the freedom to pursue all of your hobbies all the time and neglect your children. You can't be a great parent and also just do whatever you want all the time. You have to restrict yourself. You have to have kind of external boundaries and laws, we might say, that help you commit to the ultimate goal of being a great parent parent. You see, the law, if it is a good law, it can actually lead you to the life that you truly desire. And that is what we are learning in our series on the Ten Commandments. Our good God gives us His good law, His ten words to live by. And these ten words, Parkview Church, show us the life of true freedom under God's loving authority. That's what this whole series is about. It's about finding the life of true freedom under God's loving authority. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the introduction to the Ten Commandments from Deuteronomy 5, 1 to 6. And these, uh, these first six verses kind of set the tone for the whole of the Ten Commandments. So it's really important that we understand what's going on here. And here's the main point. I hope most of you have this. If you do not have a copy, could you raise your hand and hopefully someone can grab a piece of paper and give it to you? Maybe you all have the. Okay, great. Well, it looks like you do. Well, this is kind of just the outline of where we're going together. I have the passage there in front of you just to show God's Word so you can engage with it as we study it together. And uh, as you see, there's the purpose for Deuteronomy 5, 1 to 6. And here's the purpose. Here's kind of the big point, the big aim of our time together. From Deuteronomy 5, 1 to 6, we learn this about the purpose of the law, that we must live for God because of God. We must live for God because of God, because of who He is, because of what He has done for us. In theological words, you might say this, we must embrace, we must obey God's law because of God's covenant. We must obey God's law because of the covenant relationship we have with Him, okay? The picture I find really helpful when speaking, thinking about the law as a Christian is this. Think of a train on a pair of tracks, okay? The law 
is not the engine of the Christian life, okay? The law has no power to propel you forward in the Christian life, okay? The law, instead, or rather, are the train tracks upon which you are empowered to live by the Holy Spirit in glory to Jesus in response to the grace of the Heavenly Father. Obeying God's law in the Christian life is always one of response. We must live for God, obedience, because of God, what He has done for us, okay? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the passage. We'll all listen carefully to God's Word, and then I'll pray, and then we'll move forward. So Parkview, hear now God's Word for us. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb, Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, the Lord said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is God's word. It is true, and it's given to us in love. Let's pray together. Father, please open our hearts by the Holy Spirit's power to listen intently to your word. Help us encounter Jesus through this passage, Lord. Help us listen to all that you speak. Help us learn all that you teach. Help us obey all that you command in response to the grace given to us in the finished work of Christ. For his sake we pray, amen. For undergrad, I went to Wheaton College outside of Chicago, Illinois. Some of you might know where that's at, a small liberal arts college outside of Chicago. Before I went to Wheaton, I heard rumors of a legendary professor named Jerry Root. In fact, when I went to summer camp, the summer before my freshman year, crazy circumstance, there was a Wheaton student who was at this summer camp, and it was summer camp all the way in Durango, Colorado, so this guy had no business being there in Durango, Colorado, and there he was, a Wheaton student, and uh, he was a sophomore at Wheaton at the time as a camp counselor. I was like my last year of, as, a, as a student at this camp, and I remember this camp counselor telling me even more stories about the famous Jerry Root, the legendary Jerry Root. Everyone loves Jerry Root, he's a larger-than-life personality. He shared the gospel personally with President Ronald Reagan. He got his Ph.D. from Oxford. He is a world expert on C.S. Lewis. He has written numerous books. He's spoken the gospel to thousands of people, and hundreds have become solid Christians because of his influence. And his classes at Wheaton are hands down the most popular among students. They're the ones that, like, the wait list is, like, 17 years. So you have to, like, sign up when you're born. And, uh, and here's the thing, right? This was so crazy to me. The, within the first couple of weeks, Jerry expressed how he wanted to mentor me my freshman year. Someone so great, someone who had done so much, how would I respond, do you think, how would I respond to his instruction, his influence on my life as a teacher and mentor? How would I respond? It's a really easy answer. I would do what 
whatever it takes to, to honor him, to, to live in a way, in a right response to, to who he is. Whatever he taught me, I would want to listen to him all the time. I would want to learn from him. I would want to do whatever necessary to make sure I lived in right response to who Jerry was and, and what he had done. And that's, that's sort of the picture of what we get in Deuteronomy 5. See, we get a picture here of a God so wonderful, of a Lord so great, of a Lord so gracious and kind and so holy and good that we can't help but our hearts to want to live for this God. And so our, the sermon this morning is basically broken up into two parts. First, we're going to see the command that we must live for God in verse 1. And then verses 2 to 6 are going to show us the motivation to obey that command. God's commandment because of who he is. And so like me and the Jerry Root class, we need to eagerly respond rightly to who God is. And what's that right response? Look down at verse 1 with me. Verse 1, the Lord says this, Moses summoned all the people of Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak to you in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. So from verse 1, we learn something very important about the nature of the law. Now, many of us here probably, especially if you're newer to the Bible, you hear law and you think boring. You hear law, you think rules, sort of correct, but mostly what you hear is kind of authority, boring, some disconnected random authority, making some disconnected random rules to make life difficult. That's what we typically think of for laws. But verse 1 shows us something different. It says the law is what? In the second phrase there, law is Learn. You shall learn them and be careful to do them. Proverbs 4, I think, summarizes God's heart in the law. It says this, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Do not forsake my teaching. Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Do you see the connection there? Keep my commandments living. It's based on forsake my teaching, a father's instruction. So in the Bible, God's law is like a father instructing his children on how to live, how to find life. That's what God's law is, instructing the people he loves to find life. And notice in verse 3, or sorry, in verse 1, the three commands of what it looks like to, to live. It says, hear, O Israel, you shall learn the law and be careful to do the law. And the phrase, by the way, the last one, you know, be careful and do them sounds like two, but actually it's, in Hebrew, it's kind of one phrase clumped together. So we have hearing, learning, and doing, obeying. God here is the divine teacher of his beloved children. And remember, when God rescues his people from Egypt, he says, he calls, Egypt, uh, he calls his uh, people Israel his, his son. And so here's the father coming to his children, his students in the classroom, and all of life is to be obedience to our Lord. You see, when I came to Jerry Root's class my first week of freshman year, what do you think I did? What do you think I did? Did I sit in the back playing games on my phone? distracted and not really listening to his lecture? Did I get to pick and choose which parts of his lectures I wanted to listen that were most helpful for my life at the time? No. Did I refuse to practice the homework or the readings? There was a ton of reading that he told me to do. No. I I was hanging on his every word. I wanted to learn more and more from him. Why? Because I knew the type of man that he was and all the things that he had accomplished as a scholar. See, Parkview, because of who God is, 
because of what He has done, we must listen, we must learn, we must obey His Word, His law, His instruction to us. The New Testament picks up this very theme in 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul's writing to a young man about how to lead the church. And he's emphasizing the authority and goodness of God's Word. In 2 Timothy 3, it says this, All Scripture, all Scripture, which would include the Ten Commandments, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Parkview. According to the Bible, according to Deuteronomy 5, what the Lord is speaking to us today is if you want to be a successful, a fruitful, a delightful Christian, you need to become a student of God's Word, listening to His instruction. And a good sign, by the way, that you are a healthy, growing Christian is to assess your inner hunger and willingness to study and engage God's Word. And here's what this means, Parkview culture generally. It means as we continue to move forward, kind of in this season of renewal together, wondering what's the kind of fresh direction the Lord's teaching us and moving us towards, our health as a church is directly connected to our ability to listen to and learn from and obey God's Word. So let's continue to find the numerous different ways that we can engage God's Word. Families and couples, maybe before you fall asleep at night, you can read a psalm and pray about it together. Older men, pursue the younger men in this church and read the Bible with them. Older women, pursue the younger women and read the Bible with them. It can happen all the parents with children at home before your meal or before breakfast or whatever it looks like. How can we be a church more and more opening our ears to hear and our minds to learn and understand and our wills to obey in response to what the Lord has spoken to us, what He's instructing us in His Word? One very simple way, by the way, that you can do this during this season of um, going through the Ten Commandments, learn this from Will Fieldworth. Thank you, Will is what if everyone in this church, Saturday night, you spent 45 seconds praying the following prayer. Lord, teach me from your word tomorrow morning. Lord, open my heart to listen, open my mind to understand, and Lord, strengthen my will to obey you. What if we all did that on Saturday evening for 45 seconds to prepare our hearts to listen to God speak to us from his law through the Ten Commandments about how to live for his glory. We can do it. I just know we can. Wonderful. Okay. So we must live for God. It's very clear. God's word saying it. Verse 1, right? Living for God means listening to his word, learning from him, and obeying him, his instruction, okay? But why? What's the, what's the source of it, we might say? What's the motivation to live in such a way? Well, it's because of who God is, because of what he has done. Now, glance kind of real quickly through verses 2 to 6, and just notice the capital letters L-O-R-D, the Lord. The focus here on verses 2 to 6 is on the Lord. Verse 2, the Lord our God makes a covenant. Verse 3, the Lord makes a covenant with us. Verse 4, the Lord spoke directly to you out of the fire. Verse 5, the Lord makes a covenant to declare to you the word of the Lord. And then verse 6, the Lord is the one who redeems from Egypt. So the focus is on the Lord, okay? And I want to look at just three aspects of God's character, okay? You ready? 
God is relational God and covenant. He's a speaking God. And thirdly, He's a saving God. Verses 2 to 3, God is a relational God. Verse 2 says, the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. Okay, Horeb is another way of saying Sinai. Okay, Exodus 20, right? Rescue from Egypt to Sinai, covenant with His people, reveals the Ten Commandments at Sinai. Verse 3, not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. Now, according to verses 2 to 3, the context of God's law is His covenant relationship. Okay, now covenant is a word that's all over the Bible, so it's really important we understand. We read Bible words, we give them Bible definitions, and the Bible definition of the Bible word covenant is a permanent chosen relationship of both law and love. A permanent chosen relationship of both law and love. Now, like a marriage covenant, there's both love and law in our relationship with the Lord, right? In our wedding vows to our spouse, we say, we express our love. I pledge my life to you, to cherish and to love you, okay? And at the same time, in any good marriage, any good relationship with covenant, there is law. We might say there's rules or boundaries in how to act rightly and respectfully towards your spouse. I don't get to scream at Claire whenever I want. That's inappropriate. That's not allowed, right? That is not good husband behavior. That's not good covenant behavior. I'm called to serve and love and cherish, and I'm also called to live in accordance with certain things that would be respectful to her. Yet notice in verse 3, the with us today language. Did you I hope that when you read this, one of the things that you pointed out, this is kind of confusing. Moses says, God did not make a covenant with our fathers, but with us here today. Well, actually, Moses wrong here because God did actually make a covenant in Exodus 20 with the first generation of Israelites that were rescued from Egypt. So what's Moses doing here? Well, he's just kind of using a a rhetorical speech here, right? A, A rhetorical device of overemphasis, right? The point is not that God actually did make a covenant with the first generation people. The point is, it's almost like God didn't really make a covenant because think of it, He makes a covenant with you right now. It's contemporary. It's relevant. He is your God. He is with us here today. The point that Moses is making is this. God's covenant, God's commitment, His relational commitment to His people is just as urgent, just as relevant for this generation, just as powerful, just as necessary in your life right now as the first generation of Israelites. Now, remember that as Christians, this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're in the new covenant. If you've received Jesus Christ by faith, the empty hands of faith, not through your good works, but simply by just saying, yes, Jesus, I'm all yours, and he gives himself to you. What happens when you become a Christian or you accept Christ into your life, whatever the language that you would use, what actually happened is that you entered into covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoa. And what Jesus does to you, he says, I pledge my entire life to you. All of myself I give to you. And what you are saying in return as a Christian is say, Jesus Christ, I give all of myself in response to you. You are in covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. And his personal loving relationship with us right now changes everything. Now, we're to live for God. That's our kind of the first point, and it's because of who He is. First, He's the relational God of covenant, but second, He's a speaking God, okay? Like any good relationship, there's always going to be communication, a speaking and a listening happening in any good relationship. That's what we see here in the second aspect of God, verses 4 to 5. It says, the Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, meaning spoke directly to you face to face, out of the midst of the fire. Verse 5, while I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord. 
for you were afraid because of the fire that you did not go up into the mountain. And you notice the emphasis in these two verses on God's word. I mean, just think of it, right? How do you get to know someone? By speaking to them. Or them speaking to you. Them saying something about themselves. And you listening. You listened as someone speaks. That is how relationship happens. Speaking and listening. The law, therefore, is God speaking to us. It's God expressing what He values most, what He most deeply loves. And this is what's so exciting about the Ten Commandments. I love the Ten Commandments. Ah! And here's why. Because in every commandment, what you get to see is an aspect of how wonderful and amazing and how delicious and incredible our God really is. Let me show you. We come to know God is good. As we look at the first command, uh, have no other gods before me, we realize that God must be of such a magnificent beauty that He alone is actually able to satisfy the deepest hungers of the human heart and not the little puny idols that we try to kind of direct our love and affections towards, those can never satisfy us. And so the Lord in His love says, don't fool around with all this nonsense. Come to me, the true beauty, the true good, and you can be satisfied. That's the first command. Fourth command is the command of rest. I know there's different interpretations. That's great. But surely at least what we learn from the Sabbath command that we should rest is that God is the one who works and then rests. In fact, God is the one who's working tirelessly for you, who wants you to find peace in the control, in His control of your life. And so you don't actually have to become addicted to overwork. You can actually rest knowing that He is governing your life and making all things towards His purposes and for your good. The seventh command, no adultery. What does this show about God? It shows that he must be the type of God whose faithfulness and love is so tender and so kind and so never giving up. God is the type of God who loves you without an exit strategy. He's in it for the long haul. And that's good news because we know how fickle our hearts really are. The eighth command, what do we learn about God from that? The God who says no stealing. What He must be a God of such infinite generosity who provides for our every need and abundance. We could go on and on to each one. But what's the point I'm making? The point I'm making is simply this. God speaks out of His covenant love for His people. He speaks to His people. And He speaks to His people through His law so that they might know His character so that we might know the God we worship. This is why, by the way, Psalm 119, the longest poem in the Bible, is so addicted in its delight in the law of God. Have you ever wondered that when you read Psalm 119? I love your rules. You love rules? Is this guy crazy? I love your commandments. You're just thinking, what? What is this guy? This is crazy. No, the reason he loves God's rules, the reason he loves God's commandments, the reason he loves God's law is because he loves God. Because he knows as we engage God's word, especially as we see him revealed through his 10 commandments, we get to know him as he speaks to us and we listen. The law is so good. It is given to us in love. This is true, by the way, Parkview. If our God is a speaking God and he speaks through 
His law. One thing that I found very helpful recently in my own personal Bible reading to kind of get more out of it. You ever read, you ever like wake up in the morning or in the evening, whatever it looks like, and you're like, whatever, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is for you. You read the Bible and it's just like, and you just shut the Bible and like, what? You know, what I found helpful is to slow down. Got this from a pastor named John Piper. He's an author. And um, he talks about uh, IOUs. Before you open the Bible is pray IOUs, okay? I, incline my heart to your testimonies. Oh, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. You, unite my heart to fear your name. S, satisfy me with your love. Incline my heart, open my eyes, unite my heart, satisfy me. I owe you. I found that very helpful because what it does is it reminds me the type of posture I want to have as I open God's word. As he speaks to me, I want to listen. Okay, so we're called to embrace God's law, to listen it, to learn it, to obey it. And we do it because God's relational, God is speaking, and finally God is a saving God. Verse 6. Verse 6 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The point here is very simple. God's salvation in the past motivates obedience to Him in the present. God's salvation of us in the past motivates obedience to him in the presence, in the present. And we need to be very careful here at Parkview Church that we don't fuzzy this. A person's obedience to God does not save them. You being a good person does not save you. You being a good person does not put you in a right relationship with God. Right relationship with God comes through God's saving mercy in Jesus Christ. That's why the song just before this sermon is all about Jesus, your mercy. What does it say? The best of my works pierce your hands and your feet. Your best day, Jesus still needed to die for you. That's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we proclaim at this church. But God's salvation of us does not mean that we just check out and just be lazy. It means he saved us into relationship with him where he speaks to us and we love him so much we say, yes, Lord, I will obey you. Tim Keller puts it like this, religion, every religion says, I obey God, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel says, I am accepted through what Jesus has done, therefore I obey God. God saves you, therefore you obey him. Or as we've been saying, we live for God because of God. Did you notice in verse 5, Do you notice that something is a bit odd there? Here are God's people before the mountain, and it says, You were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. So even here in the Old Testament, God's people are terrified of God's presence. And it's because they know their sinfulness, their inability to keep the law in light of God's fiery majesty. And what they need, verse 5, what does it say? Moses says what? I'm between you and between the Lord. Moses acts as a mediator to give the covenant relationship, to speak God's words. Moses, the one who rescued God's people from slavery. And yet, what happens in the Old Testament from Deuteronomy 5, this point onward, is basically a story of unfolding failure after failure of God's people unable to keep the law. God's people basically breaking every single of the Ten Commandments over and over again. A failure to listen to the Lord who loves them, to learn from the God who delights in them, to obey the God who commands them. 
And the reason is because Moses is not the mediator we truly need. And so God promised a new covenant to give God's people new hearts where he would write the law in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. And this new covenant would come not on the mountain of Sinai through fire on a mountain with God speaking, but this new covenant would come on the mountain of Golgotha where God is speaking to the crucifixion of his son dying on a cross. And so we come to our Lord Jesus. And who is the Lord Jesus? The book of Hebrews in the New Testament calls him the mediator of a better covenant, better than Moses. And Jesus comes, as he says in Matthew 5, not to eradicate the law, but to fulfill it, to bring it to its intended purpose. Jesus is the relational God. I mean, think about, we're about to celebrate communion in a few minutes. And what happens in the communion meal? What does Jesus say? He says, this is my body, which is given to you, my blood of the new covenant, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is not only relational God, he's the speaking God, the word of God made flesh. He's the saving God, not from slavery in Egypt, but to the great oppressor of our lives, sin. This is who our God is. And how should we respond in light of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ? We should live for God. We should live for God because of what Christ has done for us. Titus 3 says it like this, you were once slaves to various passions and pleasures, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, Jesus saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, given richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that by his grace, get this, okay, Jesus saved us, not because of works, okay, but we're saved, verse 7 of Titus 3, so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So in the New Testament, we have the same pattern, the new covenant. We must live for God because of what God has done for us in Christ. And that is what's so wonderful. We must listen to the law and learn God's law and obey God's law. Why? Because of Jesus. Jesus doesn't all of a sudden come and say, oh, it doesn't matter about obeying God. No, all the more reason to obey the Lord who loves us. So let's finish with this. I want to close with just a few moments of prayer. And this is the basic application, okay? If this is true, that God is going to be speaking to us in covenant with us through Christ and His redemption from our from slavery from sin through Jesus, He's going to speak to us every Sunday. He always speaks to us every Sunday. But again, through this Ten, Ten Commandments series. And so I just want to pause and allow us to pray. And what I want you to pray is simply this. Lord, in the next several weeks as we look at the Ten Commandments, help me listen, help me learn, and help me obey. Help me listen and learn and obey because of who Jesus is and what he has done.